in the preaching of God's word this morning would prepare us for partaking of the supper. I want to thank our brother Samuel Echeverria for preaching God's word to us last weekend. I praise God for the gift God has given him. And it's good to be back with you, church, this morning. A new year. What are some of the resolutions you've made for the new year? Have you made any? Some of you are looking at me smiling as if you don't know how to spell resolutions. Have you made any new resolutions? Well, some people do. I had some. Uh, some people think about wanting to exercise more often. My wife and I thought of wanting at least to go out and out to the gym and exercise twice a week. That's just a New Year resolution. We don't know how long it'll take or keep. Others think, well, I got to eat less. Others say, oh, I, I want to travel more. I'm retired. Before I go and, and go to be with Jesus, I want to see the world. I want to travel more. Perhaps others say, I, I want to deal with some issues in my life that I haven't dealt with. I know they're there, and I want to deal with them. Perhaps someone would say, well, I want to spend less money this year. God help you with that one. Um, did you make any commitments for this year? And if you did, why did you make them? Why did you think about doing something different or something new in 2013? Is it because you know that some things could be better in life? We live in a world where we know that life could be better. We could live life better. We could live a better life. If only we would work out more, eat more healthy, earn more money, get into that relationship we've always been yearning for. Or others who might be fed up with their marriage might think they could live better if life Better if they would only get out of that relationship. Not something we would encourage here. But at the root of all these hopes, whether they're good or bad, wise or misguided, at the root of all these aspirations is the reality that we know life could be better. Friend, at the beginning of this year, if you made any new resolutions, you agreed that some things could be better about yourself in 2013. And the Bible agrees with that root aspiration that life could be better. Yes, there is a better life we could live. Yes, Scripture tells us that there is a different quality of life that we can have that we can experience, but that different life, that supremely better life, is tied uniquely to a person. And that person is Jesus. At one point, Jesus said about his people, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
Yes, Jesus came to this world to bring life. To give life. So that those who follow Him, so that those who know Him may have it and have it to the full. This morning, I want us, as we begin this year, to look at Jesus, the revealer of life. Would you open Scripture to John chapter 20? We'll read only two verses, verses 30 and 31. But i got to warn you, do not be deceived. The shortness of the verses do not mean a short sermon. As a matter of fact, this year, today, we begin a new sermon series on the Gospel of John. And the overall theme of this Gospel is Jesus, Son of God, the Revealer of Life. Jesus, Son of God, the Revealer of Life. And as our custom is, before we begin a sermon series on a particular book, we do one sermon that gives an overview of the whole book, why it's written, and how it's written. And the passage that gives us that purpose clause is John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. If you're using a Bible provided in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 943, 943. Let's listen to the word of the Lord for us, for our hearts this morning, and as we begin this new sermon series on the Gospel of John. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Let's ask him for his spirit to guide us as we prepare our hearts to listen. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have sent Jesus to, to bring to us a life we've always wanted, always aspired to, but never knew how to get to. Father, we pray that your word this morning would would be open to us through your Holy Spirit. We pray that we would see ourselves in the light of your word. And we ask, O Holy Spirit of God, would you apply this word to our lives? In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, for those of you not familiar with the Gospel of John, or let's, let's start with the beginning. For those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, this book that we preach from, has 66 books, smaller books, written by different authors. Four of these books are called Gospels, and they're Gospels written by different authors. So we may hear the Gospel according to Luke, or the Gospel according to Matthew, or the Gospel according to Mark, or the Gospel according to John. Well, this morning we will look at one of these Gospels, the Gospel according to John. Each of these Gospels tell us the story of Jesus. The first three Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar, even in the things they include about Jesus and the sequence they say things about Jesus. That's why some people call them the synoptic Gospels, because they're so similar. 
They look alike. But then you have the fourth gospel, which is different. It still says, tells a story of Jesus, but it tells it by giving us quite some different details, leaving out some things that are present in the, in, the, in the first three gospels, but including other things that are found nowhere else. For instance, the gospel of John includes no parables. You know, all those nice stories that Jesus said to give an example, they're completely absent from the gospel of John. Um, the Gospel of John also has very few miracles. You can count them on the fingers of your hands. Um, but instead, it has long speeches. Also, the question is, if we have three Gospels that were written to tell the story of Jesus, why do we have a fourth one? weren't three enough. I mean, honestly, why does our Bible have four versions of the story of Jesus? Well, each of the three Gospels have different emphases, even though they say the same story and in largely a similar way. The fourth Gospel also has its unique emphasis, and it has a unique way of telling that story. As our text shows us, the ultimate reason why this fourth gospel was written is that we may have life. This is the emphasis why this fourth gospel was written. Yes, this gospel is concerned with the plight of mankind and it has a solution to offer. Life. True life. No wonder that this fourth gospel has often been used as a gospel tract. It has often been printed by itself and, and, and used to, to give it away to people who don't know about Jesus because would, it's, it's such a, wonderful, such a wonderful story of who Jesus is. It gives different pictures of Jesus. It also, it's this gospel that has the most well-known verse of the whole Bible. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But friends, this life, the Bible tells us, can only be experienced by those who come to believe certain realities about God and His Son, whom He sent into the world. And therefore, as we look at this overview of the Gospel of John, I'd like for us to look at three things. What is it we should believe? in order to have this life? What does it mean to believe? Second. And third, what are the results of believing? Three things. What is it we should believe? What does it mean to believe? And finally, what are the results of believing? Friends, at the very outset, John's recipe for experiencing life, a full life, is different than most of the resolutions you and I make at the beginning of the year. In order to experience a better life, we say, well, I got to do this better. I got I to work on this. The recipe John gives us for a better life is utterly different in the fact that in order to experience this better life, it's not about what you decide to do. 
It's about what someone else has already done for you. Jesus. And in that sense, experiencing this better life is so different than so many religious systems and then so many other decisions you and I make in life. We have to come to, to grips to the understanding, not of what, first, not of what we have to do, but of what Jesus has already done for us. So what is it we should believe? Let's look at that first. John tells us in chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of all his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words... There's a whole lot of other things Jesus did which are not written here. And this entire gospel is divided very simply in two major parts. Well, first of all, it has a, a beginning, an introduction, chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 1, verse 18. The first 18 verses are the introduction. Then chapter 21 is a conclusion. And in between, we have the, the actual story, the, the body of the book. And this body could be divided in two major parts, from chapter 1 to chapter 12. Some people have called this first section of John the book of signs because it tells about the signs Jesus made. And even though Jesus made lots of miracles, John included only a few, but the ones he included tell a point. And that's the point, that's the issue. These things are written, even though they're fewer, fewer even than the other Gospels, even though the signs are fewer, these things are selected very deliberately to tell a point. And the point is, they're written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in His name. And then the second part of the Gospel starts with chapter 13 and goes all the way to the end of chapter 20. Some people have called this other half of the, of the book of John the book of glory, because in it, Jesus finally gets to the hour where he will be glorified. And as we have seen in some of the sermons in, the book, in December, the hour of Jesus' glorification, or the book of glory, is really the book of Jesus' passion, his death and resurrection. And then finally we see chapter 21, the conclusion of the entire gospel. So the outline of this book, in some sense, is very simple. An intro and a conclusion, and the rest of the book divided in two major parts, chapter 1 to 12 and 13 through 20. But at the end of chapter 20, we see an interesting sign, probably the greatest sign of the entire book, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And at the end of this sign, we see that one of Jesus' own disciples has a hard time believing. So John, get this, John is writing this entire gospel, giving us these signs so that you and I may believe. But before he says that, he gives us a story of one of the disciples of Jesus who had a hard time believing the greatest sign of all. Downing Thomas. He says, if I don't see, if I don't touch, if I don't put my hand in his hand and put my hand on his side, I will not believe. And Jesus appears to him and says, Thomas, 
bring your hand, put it here, put it on my side. And Thomas exclaims, and he says, he falls down and says, my Lord and my God. The point is, Jesus' own disciples, when the greatest sign of all has happened, one of his own disciples struggled to believe. And Jesus says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. And we would say, wow, if, if I was there, I too would believe. If I had been there, I too would have such a more radical faith in God. But do you know what Jesus says? Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is speaking about us. Those of us, those of the rest of the world who are not privileged to be in Thomas's shoes, to be in the position that Thomas was in, and yet Jesus says it is more blessed. It is blessed of those who believe even though they have not seen. It is blessed of those who believe because they have heard. Friends, that's our blessing today. And that's why the Gospel of John was written. And it's at the end of that dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus that the Gospel writer says, okay, okay. You see how this one disciple had a hard time believing after seeing? And Jesus says, blessed is to, to believe without seeing. He says, but I got to tell you the truth. There's way more signs that Jesus did. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Friends, for us, these things are written so that we, unlike Thomas, might believe by merely hearing about these signs. That's what this gospel wants to do. Now, why are these signs important in John's gospel? Why is Jesus making the miracles? Why is John's gospel telling these miracles? If Jesus is telling us that it is better to believe without seeing. How many of you would think you would have an easier time following Jesus? How many of you would think you would have an easier time being committed wholeheartedly to Jesus if you had been there to see all the miracles? Honestly, how many of you think in 2013 your faith would be more bolstered if you could just travel back in time and see all the miracles? And yet, the purpose of the signs in the Gospel of John is a very tricky purpose. It's not an intuitive purpose. The signs in the Gospel of John are included not to create amazement and astonishment among people, but the signs are given in order to reveal the identity of Jesus. 
let me say that again. The signs in the Gospel of John, unlike the other three Gospels where Jesus made the miracles to show that the kingdom of God, the reign of God was coming in their midst, the power of God was taking over. That's the purpose in the first three Gospels of the signs. In the Gospel of John, the purpose of the miracles is not to show that the power of God has come among them. The purpose of the signs is to point to the identity of who Jesus is. In other words, the purpose of the signs is not to elicit faith, but to reveal the truth about who Jesus is and call people to believe. Um, actually, the miracles by themselves are not a sufficient factor in bringing about the desired faith. In John chapter 2, um, verses 23 to 25, we read, after Jesus had done the first miracle and other miracles that are not written in this book, he, we read the following. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in man. In other words, Jesus looks at, the, at this enthusiasm of, of the miracles that the people saw. And Jesus says, it's not about that. It's not about that. Miracles and the signs Jesus makes are about revealing the identity of Jesus. Some people say, well, if, if I could just see it, if I, if, I, if I would be there, I could believe. Some of you this morning are talking to friends and coworkers and trying to convince them about God. You're trying to share with them about Jesus. And you hear this objection sometimes, perhaps, more often than you, you'd expect. Yeah, but if I don't see it, I can't believe it. You can't believe that stuff. It was not true. You can't believe in the resurrection. You can't believe that Jesus turned water into wine. I'd like to believe it. We'd have a great party. But I just can't. Friend, we have to realize that these miracles, and, and when people bring these objections what they're really saying is, I can't believe it until I experience it. And the point about faith is that faith comes by hearing, not by experiencing. It is by hearing the Word of God that God brings faith, gives faith to us, and we're called to believe. So friends, those of you who are talking to, to co-workers, to, fr to other friends of yours about Jesus and trying to convince them of the reality of Jesus, just speak to them about who Jesus is and trust and pray that by the mere hearing of those accounts, even in the midst of having scientific objections, believe that Jesus brings faith into their hearts. He can. That's how it happens. Miracles point to who Jesus is, the Son of God, sent by God, given by God for us. But friends, it's not only the signs that tell about who Jesus is. John's gospel gives us seven types of testimonies which testify about Jesus. Seven types of testimonies. John the Baptist is the first. Nathaniel is the second. Jesus' own words are third. 
Jesus' signs and miracles are the fourth. God the Father testifies about the Son. The Old Testament testifies about Jesus. Moses testifies Jesus. Finally, the eyewitness testimony of John, the author of this gospel. He says, the one who has seen these things testifies that these things are true. In, in other words, throughout this entire gospel of John, the author is trying to convince people and readers, whatever I'm saying about Jesus is true. He is who he claims to be. Jesus said about himself, the big I am sayings, seven I am sayings, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, the sheep gate, the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life, and I am the true vine. And each of these descriptions seek to show us how Jesus, as Son of God, He's not just remotely up there in heaven, but He's interested in our experiences of Him and working in our lives and dwelling in us and with us. So He's using these imageries, images of daily living to show us that He is the one who brings ultimate meaning, ultimate sense in our lives. And yet, despite the fact that the Gospel of John is so keen on showing that Jesus is the Son of God, the one in whom we have true life, the Gospel of John also is the one who does something else. It's the one who highlights more than any other gospel that Jesus was rejected. And this is a paradox. This is the irony of John's gospel. He's hammering the point time and again, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Look at all these signs. Look at all these testimonies. And yet, he brings out the reality that most people, many people, many of, God, of Jesus' own people rejected him. As a matter of fact, let me just read to you. Jesus not only was rejected by his own people, but in the rejection, Jesus revealed the own false allegiance of God's people. The false allegiance that God's own people had. Israel thought they had God as their father. So here's what Jesus says to some of these Israelites. They say in John 8, We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? because you're not able to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me? Guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why, do you, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God.
Jesus reveals not only who he is, the Son of God, but also he's unmasking the false allegiances many of the Israelites had to God himself. Yes, the Jews rejected Jesus not only because he claimed to be the Son of God, but also because they did not belong to God, even though they claimed to have God as their Father. Friends, Jesus knows our true allegiances. He sees through the thick masks that we put on, and he encounters us as we truly are. When speaking to a Samaritan woman, he, wanted, he asked a woman to bring her husband. What a bizarre request. But it was a request that really revealed what was going on in this woman's life. She had had five husbands, and the, the man who, whom she was living with was not her husband. Jesus is dealing with us as we truly are. He wants to give us the gift of life, but he wants us to stop pretending that we are what we're not. Jesus is the Son of God. He came to reveal the Father to us. He came to reveal himself to us. He came to bring us life, but on the backdrop of revealing who we truly are also. That's what it means. That's what we're called to believe. We're called to believe who Jesus is, who he came to reveal. He came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal himself. He came to reveal to us our brokenness and our need of life. But what does it mean to believe? Let's look at what does it mean to believe. In John's Gospel, to believe in Jesus is a personal commitment. Actually, the phrase of believing in Jesus was very foreign in the ancient world. People would say, well, I believe you, or I believe about you. That was not unheard of. But to believe in someone, that was unusual. It was different. To believe in Jesus was very similar to what Paul wrote in Romans, to be baptized into Christ. It was a way of saying, I identify myself with Christ. That's the meaning of the phrase, to believe in Jesus. It's not just to believe about Jesus or just to believe Jesus. It's to identify yourself with him. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says the following in John 5 about what it means to believe in Jesus. Actually, there's a few things. There are four ways that John talks about this idea of believing in Jesus. Four ways. To believe in him is to receive him. To believe in him is to receive him. John 1, 11 and 12, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. So to believe in Jesus means to receive him. A second way, a second way to meaning of to believe in Jesus means to allow his words to remain in us. John 5. This is really a negative way of saying this truth, but here's what Jesus says. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. So in other words, not to have his word dwell in us is not to believe in the one he sent. 
Notice, not believing in Jesus means not letting God's Word dwell in us. Yet, if we keep reading John 5, letting God's Word dwell in us is not just about reading the Word. Letting God's Word remain in us is not just about studying God's Word. You know how, how I know that? Because verse, the following verses, here's what Jesus says. To those whom he just said about, his word does not dwell in you, for you don't believe in the one God sent. And then he says, you diligently study the scriptures. Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me. To let God's word dwell in us is not just about reading the word and studying it. It's about following it. So to believe in Jesus is to, re to receive him, to allow his word to remain in us. To believe in Jesus is to have a faith that remains. John chapter 8, verse 31, the Jews who had believed him said, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. In other words, to be a disciple of Jesus is not just about starting to be a disciple, but about persevering and remaining a disciple to the end. True disciples of Jesus hold on to his teaching False disciples don't. They fall out along the way. And finally, to believe in him is connected with two key words in this, in this gospel. To believe in Jesus is to love him and to obey him. John 16, 27, The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Friends, true faith not only engenders love for Jesus, but true faith brings about a new obedience that is caused by our love and faith in Jesus. And these four ways define John's way of believing in Jesus. It's about receiving him. It's about letting his word dwell in us. It's about having a faith that remains to the end. It's about a faith that is described by love and obedience. This is what it means for John to believe in Jesus. Do you believe in this way? Do you believe in the Son of God in this way? The faith that the Gospel of John calls us to have is not just an intellectual assent. It's not just an acknowledgement of who Jesus is. It is that faith that receives him. It's that faith that allows his word to become part of our lives, that we follow it. It's that faith that endures to the end. It's that faith that is displayed through love and obedience to Jesus. Friend, do you know Jesus in this way? Do you know Jesus, the Son of God, with this kind of faith? It's this kind of faith of who Jesus is and what he calls us to be 
It is by responding to Him through repentance of our sins and faith in Him that we receive eternal life. And as John said in the very first chapter, but all those who received Him, all those who believed in His name, He gave them the right to be called children of God. Friend, if you don't know Jesus in this way, if you don't have that personal encounter with Jesus, a personal walk with Him, I want to talk to you at the end of the service. I'd love for you to experience what this Jesus looks like in your life, what it means for Him to live in your life. It's a decision you must make in your heart. And I'd love to talk to you about it. In just a few moments, we, those who have experienced God's love, who have received Him in our hearts, we are going to be called to experience Him as we remember His Supper as we remember His blood and His body given for us. Let us prepare our hearts to prayer, self-examination, to receive Him and to celebrate that He has been given for us. He has given us life in His body, in His blood. Let us pray.